0: Supporting students in the area of writing can sometimes be a challenging task. But then you have incoming students, ELL students, who are acquiring the English language for the very first time. These students deserve the very same level of quality writing instruction, but there are just some things that you have to think about and consider when it comes to your ELL students. And today on the podcast, we have a guest speaker Beth Vosche, and she knows all things ELL. She is going to be sharing her tips, ideas, and just basic information that is gonna help you when it comes to supporting your ELL students in the area of writing. So if you have any ELL or ESL students in your classroom and you are looking for ways to support them, this is the episode for you. I cannot wait for you to meet my friend Beth But really quickly, I wanted to give you a quick FYI. We had a couple of issues with a cord while recording, so from time to time, you may hear a few noises, but the content is so great, so helpful, and so valuable, we really wanted you to hear it. So I cannot wait for you to tune in to this episode. We will meet you inside.
1: You are listening to The Literacy Dive a podcast for teachers who want to take a deeper dive into all things reading and writing. Learn teacher tips and actionable step-by-step strategies to help you grow as an educator. With a passion for literacy
0: and supporting teachers, here's your host, Megan Polk from Miss P's Style. Welcome back to another episode of the Literacy Dive Podcast. And like I just told you, we have a special guest on the show, and I'm so excited for her to be able to share all of her tips, tricks, and knowledge when it comes to supporting your ELL students. So on the show, we have Beth today. And Beth, if you could just quickly introduce yourself, and then we will get all into the good stuff with teaching our ELL students.
1: Hey, Megan. Thanks so much for having me on your podcast. I'm so excited. So excited to have you. So my name is Beth Boucher, and I am originally from Chicago. Love the Cubs, love baseball and (laughs) love hot dogs, just like a good Chicagoan. (laughs) Um, About eight years ago, my husband and I moved to Panama. So we live right now in Central America in Panama City, Panama. And we had our two daughters here. So they're dual citizens, and we are raising them as best as possible to be bilingual. And so all these different experiences from having very heavy loads of ELLs in my public school teaching in Chicago, and then moving abroad, teaching here at an international school, raising bilingual children, all of these things have kind of meshed together to become a huge passion of mine of helping reach English language learners. And so that's just a little bit about my story, being here and living here. I did take 10 years of Spanish and have a minor in it, but living abroad is a very different (laughs) situation. And so I myself feel like our ELLs because I'm a Spanish second learner here um, and constantly have that friction of living in a culture that's not your native language. So that's a lot of my story and kind of where this passion has stemmed from of feeling that embarrassment and that anxiety and having those successes when it started to come more natural to speak Spanish. So that's a little bit about me and why I'm so passionate about helping other teachers learn and know how to support the ELLs in their classes, because the numbers are rising and our classrooms are changing. And it's a beautiful thing, the diversity in our classroom's and I know uh, talking with so many homeroom teachers, they have a heart's desire to help support those students. They just don't know where to begin. And so that's really my passion.
0: I love that. And I think the, the best thing that I think I love about, the, about you and where you're living is that you literally are your students. You are our students. You are all students. And so um, it really is just so powerful to know that you are in an environment that is not your native one, but you are thriving in it. And you can really identify and understand the students and how they feel when they enter a classroom or enter a country or enter a new state or the walls of a new anywhere. And they have to adapt and get to know that. So the fact that you are living it is just why I really love looking into all of your tips and everything that you have to share to help our littles with being able to have a successful school year. So I'm just so pumped again. Thank you so much for joining and being on the show. I know that we met at a conference a few years ago. I'm trying to forget what year it was. I think it's
1: been about two years.
0: Yeah, like a couple of years ago. (laughs) And um, it's been so awesome. I really look forward to meeting you again in person. But yeah, so today, all of the listeners, we are going to be chatting about writing and how that connects with your ELLs, how you can support your ELL students when it comes to writing in the classroom. And so there's no better person to bring on than the expert of all ELLs, which is Beth. And so Beth, if you would just kind of start us off with what are some things that we need to be able to um, just remember and understand about ELL students before we really dive into getting them to writing?
1: Awesome. Yes, let's get started. So the first thing that all teachers need to realize when it comes to writing and their ELLs is writing is the last domain that is, you know, that the students are able to work on to progress in. And so we have four language domains. The first one's listening. That one comes the quickest, you know, if you've ever been in another situation where you're learning language, you can start to pick up some phrases, those things that comes pretty quickly. Speaking then comes next, and then reading and writing are our last domains that are developed. And so if you're seeing your students when you say, oh, we're going to write, and the look on their faces is like frustration or just they don't want to do it at all, <laughs> that's very normal and that's very common. And so having that perspective when you approach ELLs and writing, that's important to begin there, that this is what's developed last. It is difficult. English is a very difficult language. And so having that expectation when we start is a great place to begin so that you know, okay. I need to really provide some support and help them feel confident in writing and take it step by step. So before we even get into the scaffolds and supports, which I'm going to be sharing later, here are three tips that are really important as a homeroom teacher when you're working, doing your writing lessons, when you're doing a mini lesson, if you're doing writer's workshop, if you're doing conferencing, all those things. One, those are great ways to support ELLs is in those more smaller group types of ways. But the first thing is you want to make sure that you're modeling expectations every time. So if you're doing a mini lesson, that's a great way to model that expectation of what are they supposed to be doing during this writing activity, giving them an opportunity to just kind of have this free write can be very overwhelming for ELLs. So you want to be very clear, you know, today, we're going to be working on writing a strong sentence, here's the parts of a strong sentence. Today, we're going to be working on making sure we have the punctuation that's needed in our sentences and then using anchor charts using something a visual piece to help them connect to that writing skill is also very crucial another tip for helping your ELLs to write is to connect it to their interest this again is crucial for them to have opinions have ideas be able to brainstorm when they have an interest in that topic I know so many times I taught second grade when I was in Chicago. And we would have to do these forced prompts and it would be like the student didn't write anything. Well, maybe he has no connection to planting a tree in the garden, you know, and so we just kind of already set up a hindrance for our ELLs when we're when we're forcing them to write on a topic that maybe they don't have that background on. Maybe they don't have that vocabulary on. Now, I understand there's times you have to do that. Um, and that's where you want to just provide some of that support of the vocabulary or reading a story that connects to it before they begin writing. But if you can connect it to your interest, you're going to have kids perform and produce a lot more than if they have no connection to it. And then the last tip is to just work on small writing goals and over, you know, this big, massive goal. Oh, we're going to write a paragraph. That's a very big goal for an ELL. And so how can you break that down? Because the other thing that we want to avoid is for them to feel like I'm never going to get this. I'm always behind. You know, I'm stupid because I don't know this. And this is sadly what our students are feeling because we're not giving them those really small, tangible ways to keep moving forward and celebrating those ways that they are making progress. Instead, they feel like, well, I still can't do this and what my teachers ask asking me to do. So you know, I'm going to give up. But if we flip that and say, Hey, today, I want you to make sure every sentence in your paragraph has a capital letter. And they do that. Hey, that's something to encourage them. You're getting this, you're getting that at every sentence starts with a capital. And so when we break it down into really small goals, writing becomes a lot more doable.
0: I love that. And I think um, what I love most about the tips that you just shared is that these tips can honestly be used for all students, not just ELs. And so I think that so often, you know, we do have the big picture idea and we just want to put, you know, the big expectation out there. And then we get, we feel defeated as teachers when the kids aren't performing, they feel frustrated when they can't understand it, but it's all about breaking down and making things attainable and making, giving scaffolds. And so- you know, definitely not feeling like you're growing your kids up too soon, but, you know, our students need support. And when they have the support and they have the language, you can gradually start taking things away. But I think that's one thing that teachers struggle with is feeling like they can't give those supports or their students are going to be relying too heavily on it. But honestly, it's sometimes the opposite. So I love those tips.
1: Yeah, I always say, you know, if you teach with ELLs in mind, all your students win. Because we know in the classroom you have, you have students who aren't ELL but are struggling and they're, you know, maybe below grade level or they just also lack some of that background knowledge and that language development. And so when we put in some of those scaffolds that are good for ELLs, but it really benefits your whole classroom.
0: Yeah, no, I love that. Okay, so whenever it comes to differentiation for the different language levels. Can you kind of share a couple of ways that teachers can be able to do that?
1: Yes, definitely. I'd love to. So we know in a classroom these days, there are such a range of language levels of student needs. Um, You have highs and lows. And so teachers these days are They have to become, you know, these differentiation magicians. (laughs) And I know it's really overwhelming. And I know when I was teaching, it was just like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know where to begin. I had a newcomer plopped in my second grade class from Bulgaria. And so it was like, I'm giving no support for this girl. And she's sitting there and I don't know what to do. And so that's the reality of many of our classrooms these days. Is we have to provide those scaffolds for all the different language levels. So here are some really easy ways to get started, because I think that when teachers realize, hey, I'm already doing a lot of these things in the class, you feel empowered, and that's something that's really important. Is that you know the teachers feel, hey, I can do this. I can take just like we're telling our students, you know, let's break it down in small steps for them. The same thing for our teachers. Yes. Let's break it down into small steps and just say, hey, this week I'm going to start to try to use the scaffold. Love that. So if you have low language learners in your class, you know, newcomer students who have just recently arrived, or even just students who have been in the school for a while or in the country for a while, but they're just not progressing as quickly in language, here are some easy ways to differentiate writing activities for them the first way is to copy the words and this is not a waste of time these students need to just work with the vocabulary work with letters they might be new to the alphabet they might be new if you know if they come from an arabic language they're learning it completely different than in english and so some of those things just copying the writing is so good for them developmentally and then they feel empowered like oh this is a task i can do So giving them vocabulary words, giving them a sentence that they can copy, there's no waste of time in that. Another way that you can help support them is a fill in the blank. And so taking a sentence that you've worked on and then pulling out one of the words and giving them a word bank. So they have to search for the word that goes in that sentence. So that's kind of the second level that you can give a low language learner is giving them a closed activity where they have to find the right vocabulary word that fits in there. And this is easy to do when you're, you know, use what you've already been working on. If you are doing a guided reading book with them, extend that lesson with a writing activity. Um, You don't want to just give them writing activities that are cold that they have no connection to. So you want to make sure that you're building up that vocabulary by doing it with guided reading or your science lessons. You know, using that vocabulary that they've been working with, they've been watching videos with. When they're connected again, that's when they're going to be able to produce something. And then the last way to provide support for those newcomers or your low language learners is by giving them a sentence starter and then having them finish it. So this is a scaffold that is a great way to just get them, you know, help them have an idea and get started. A lot of times our students are just, they just have that block. They, you know, in their brain sitting there looking at a blank piece of paper, they have a hard time getting over that hump, that initial hump of getting started. So when you give them a sentence starter, it helps them to get writing right away.
0: I love that, and especially the last tip that you just shared about giving sentence starters. That is my go-to. I will give sentence starters to all kids all the time, and you know what I find too is that for the students that might not be ELLs, it it just allows them to not have to do all of the the brain work for something that is very structural, like how we're going to start the sentence the big ideas and the, the the meat of the sentence is what comes after that the kids have to draw from and complete. So I am an advocate of using sentence, you know, starters for young children, for upper elementary children, EL or not, just because it just allows them not only the the language starter, but it also allows them to have a variety of ways that they can start saying the same thing. And that just builds up the word bank. So-
1: Yes, I love that. And that's the beautiful thing. You're kind of taking out that roadblock so that you're helping them. The output is what you're looking for. You know, that meat of the sentence, are they able to do that part? And I, going back to what you said earlier, you know, I think as teachers, sometimes we feel like if we provide scaffolds and supports, we're, we're making it too easy for them, you know, and that's the absolute opposite. And if you, if you're seeing students become too dependent on you to give them those scaffolds and supports, then, you know, put it back on them, say, okay, let's work in groups. And you guys come up with a sentence starter and you're going to give your sentence starter to that group. And they're going to give you know, and you're going to switch sentence starters. So now they're not dependent on you to give it to them. They're taking the responsibility for it, but you're still giving them that support.
0: I love it. I love that. That's so good. So, kind of now moving into our students who struggle with coming up with what to write. How do I generate these ideas? How do I figure out what to even write about? Teacher, (laughs) my kids they call me Miss, and so you know, it's like Miss. What do I write about? So, uh, what tips do you have for students who struggle with just simply coming up with what to write? Yeah,
1: I think we all can. And think (laughs) of that kid sitting at the desk with that blank stare of. I don't have anything to write about. Even after you've done the heart map, you know, we've done a lot of work on this and and they're still struggling. So my go-to is to put a picture prompt up, find a funny one, find something that engages them. And they go, Oh, I, you can write about this. There's so much in this picture. There's so much going on. So find a picture and just put it up and, or give it to them at their desk. And say, hey, start to pull out some vocabulary words that are in there. You know, start simple again. What What do you see in that picture? What do you see going on? Just start to talk. And sometimes our students just really need to have that time to talk out loud first. That's where I love doing like a think-pair-share where they're just talking about it before they have to actually write it down. That's really an important piece if you have that student who's just getting stuck on ideas and really not able to put that pencil on the paper. Have them talk out loud about the picture and then say, okay, go and write about it now. Go write one sentence about it of what you see going on. So picture prompts are my favorite way to get students who are struggling to get an idea, throw that up there, make it really funny and make it, you know, something that has a lot going on in the picture. So you could put it on the whiteboard for the whole class and you could have 20 different responses from that same picture. That's the first tip. Another way is to incorporate graphic organizers and charts to organize their ideas first, then write. So again, breaking it down where, you know, pull out the vocabulary. Okay, let's add in some nouns that you see in this picture. Let's add in some verbs. What verbs would you use? And now let's connect those words that we pulled out into a sentence, you know? And so when we can when we can make it in a way that they don't really realize they're writing and we're kind of taking out that, all right, you need to write a paragraph about this topic. You know, that's an instant, like, I don't know. I I don't know how to do that. They just mentally feel that block. But if we say, Oh, you can, you can write some vocabulary words down. Oh, you know some nouns that you see in this picture, or you, so, you know some nouns about this topic. And so having those steps broken down into a graphic organizer is a really great way to get them to start writing. I recommend to use the same graphic organizer multiple times so that visually they see, oh, when I do this activity, I then will do this. It's helping them build that framework in their mind of what to do. That's something I think that's a big issue I had when I worked with ELLs and just taught in the homeroom classroom. I love new ideas and I love trying new things. And I think sometimes I did a disservice to my ELLs because Oh, today we're going to do this, today we're going to do this. You know, and there wasn't a lot of that structure. And so they'd come in kind of not knowing what to expect. And I think when they do know what to expect, then they feel safe and they feel comfortable and they know, okay, I can, I'm going to take a risk with this. I can, I can do this and I know it's a safe thing and I'm not going to get made fun of or I'm not going to make a big mistake in front of the class. You know, so when we give them that support of like, every time they do this graphic organizer, they know exactly what to do. They know the expectation. That helps kind of bring down that fear of failure, which a lot of our ELLs experience. And then the last thing with those students who struggle to write is to incorporate quick writing opportunities. And so these are things I love doing like a pass the paper where, you know, write a word, pass it to your neighbor, add on to the sentence. So then they don't feel like, oh, this is my writing you know, the other students in the class are going to make fun of me for my sentence. If it's a group writing activity, they then don't worry about that. It's the group who's writing it. You know, if all they have to do is add on one word to a sentence or add on a sentence to build a paragraph, that really helps bring down that. It's called the affective filter. It helps bring down that fear of failure. And so doing those quick writing opportunities or set a timer for two minutes and say, okay, write as much as you can about this picture in two minutes, um, just to help them get over that mental block that I think a lot of our students experience.
0: Yeah, that is so good. Like you are dropping so many good nuggets of um, just how to be mindful when thinking about these students and then bringing it into the big umbrella of all students. I know whenever I moved to Houston, Texas, I immediately started working at an IB school, an international baccalaureate school. That was my first experience with having multiple cultures represented. At the previous school, I just had a high Spanish population, a few, you know, Asian population was present and then just American. But at this school in Houston, Texas, I mean, I went from having two to three to having like nine to 10 or 11 different countries represented in my classroom. And it was such an incredible experience to see, but it was very challenging with knowing that they're all coming with different challenges with understanding and taking on the English language. Yeah. And so I like your last tip about giving them those quick writing opportunities of just like write a word and pass it, write a word and pass it, because every morning... What I would do, you know, like a morning meeting style, and we would just have to work on the speaking and getting the language to come out, and that was exactly one of my go-tos. Was like just share one word. I don't even really want you saying a whole sentence because they got so nervous with speaking. Mm -hmm. Yes, but it made me think about uh, my first couple of years trying to figure out what is going to be my game plan with staying at the school and knowing that this is what our school represents with really making sure that I'm protecting these students. And that was one of the things we did was share a word. And so I love that the tip with um, having them write was just made me think about that memory. So
1: I love that story.
0: Yeah, thank you. So that was awesome tips for writing. So now we're, this is going to be the topic that I think all teachers everywhere, it just makes you want to rip your hair out, which is when it comes <laughs> to grammar. But for those students in particular who struggle with basic grammatical errors, um, what are some tips or ideas that teachers can be able to take on and try to do to support those students when it comes to grammar?
1: Yes, I think we all again have that student just come into our mind of the run-ons and (laughs) no no periods in that whole paragraph. And you know, they're starting to get it a little bit and you're like, oh, but we really need to work on this part. This is reiterating a point we made before of just setting those really small goals you know, having that post-it where they stick it right on their desk and they know this is all I'm looking for. And I think as a teacher, we also need to have that awareness of what are we assessing in this writing sample or in this activity? What's our purpose? Are we trying to work on that grammar skill? Are we trying to have them share their ideas? Are we trying to have them, you know, whatever it is, we need to also be clear so that we don't come at it with that red pen and say, oh, what but this, is, this verb is wrong and this, there's no period here and there's no commas here, you know, and that because that totally shuts them down. And so we want to be really careful that we, we help to push them forward, but we make it clear of, all right, in this sample, we're going to really look for your periods. Do you have periods in your, in your paragraph? You know, can you go back before you come to me and check on that? Using self-rubrics I find are extremely helpful for the students to really have those eyes to see. If they have that goal accomplished before they come to you, and that's where if we keep it simple to one goal and keep working on it until they improve on it. Now, how do you get them to improve on it? Because I know I've given many students that goal, and they come back and they're like, "Oh, it's all it's all done. I have periods everywhere." They don't, you know. So, and, and we don't live in a utopian world. We know that. So, I would say the second step then is after you define that goal is to then. Pull them in small groups, you know, work on that goal very explicitly. I know you have those awesome writing offices, which things like that, that you give them those, um, those visuals of reminding them, Hey, we've talked about this, you know what to do, but giving them that visual reminder is huge. And so incorporating something like that, finding a game online that's specifically practicing pronouns in a sentence or specifically having them put a period after you know the sentences, finding where they break up and putting in a period. So really explicitly practicing that goal in whatever format, whether it's a small group session, whether it's an individual game that they can do on the computer, homework to be sent home, something that is just very clear. This is what we're practicing. Okay, now we've practiced it. Go back and let's try that again in your writing.
0: Love that. That's so good. And I think also with just thinking about how to support those students, you said something key there, which is explicitly modeling. And with being very explicit, just the word explicit means like you have to take the time and be thorough to really break it down. And with that, it's going to require time and patience. And so I think if we as teachers limit the expectation of like, okay, even though the pacing guide of my district says that I have one week to teach commas in a series and I have two weeks to teach apostrophes, if your students need longer time than that, take the time that they need so that they can really internalize it and don't move on too quickly before giving them enough time to be able to explore with that new skill. Because grammar is hard. Grammar is hard for adults. And so... When thinking, and I, I just go back to the fourth grade writing star test in Texas. You know, when we're asking students to revise and edit, like that is a hard skill for a fourth grader. It yeah. is a hard skill for an adult. Um, <laughs> I think when you can just take the time to explicitly teach those skills in the long run, your students are going to really be thankful and grateful that you took the time and allowed them to really internalize and understand it versus throwing a million things at them because you're teaching to the test. So
1: that's so I, I love that. And I think something else to keep in mind is the native language of the student you know, if you see a consistent error, looking and seeing how is this, if you can, how is this written in their native language? I know like in Spanish and English, adjectives are placed at different parts of a sentence. And so that's a very common area error that you're gonna have your Spanish speaking students make because if they're translating as they're writing, In their head they're translating it and they're flipping the ad where the adjective goes in the sentence and so just then being if you're aware of that then you can point that out to them and kind of explicitly teach that skill and the same with other languages there's a lot if you can pull out you know especially in spanish english it's like 40 to 50 percent of the words are cognate so they're the same they're very similar and so you know when you can pull that in they're gonna start to click more with that too of oh yeah i know in in spanish we say it this way and that's very similar to english there's been a lot of things in English, like you're saying, that are really tricky for adults, even. They're just it's very difficult. And so giving them that grace, giving them that giving them that understanding that writing takes time. And so giving that opportunity to slowly just really learn the language and learn writing is really important.
0: Oh, my goodness. Well, this has been just such an Amazing and powerful and fruitful conversation. Um, It just has me really excited about what the listeners are going to be feeling this sense of empowerment to be able to go out there and really start being intentional with their ELs and with their students in general. And so I love just the tips that you've shared, the ways that we can differentiate for the different languages, uh, the language levels that we have in the classroom. Um, I love that you shared. Some incredible tips for helping those EL students who struggle with coming up with what to write, and then also for the students who are struggling with grammar. So um, before we wrap up here, are there any other last minute thoughts, ideas, or just any words that you want to share to teachers out here that are listening? Because my guess is that every single listener has ELs in their classroom. So are there any last minute? Yeah, the
1: last tip I came, I was just thinking as we're talking, <laughs> something that's a really powerful way to get your students writing is through shared journals. And so this does take a lot of work of the teachers. And I know as teachers, you guys have so much on your plate. And this this might not be a reality right now in the season. But I do find it's really powerful when you have a journal that, you know, let the students decorate it. And this is their journal where they can write whatever they want. There's no talking about editing and revising. It's just their journal that they get to talk about, write about. You can still give them prompts if you want. Like last week and we did this. And then you take time and respond. And when that you do this, you'll see this turnaround in how much your students want to write. Because when their teacher responds to what they write and they don't have that, that limitation of, oh, well, it has to be this and it has to be this way and you need to make sure you have periods, but they just get to free write about whatever they want and their teacher is going to read it and respond. There's a lot of power in that. And so if you're looking for a place and you're just saying, my ELLs just don't even want to write at all. I'm, they're just not, we're not even ready to go into grammar and revising and editing. <laughs> they're just not writing. That's a great place to start. Is just creating these really special journals. I know when I did do it, I would have them write maybe on Monday and then try to respond to like five a week, you know, just be realistic with it. We can't, we, as much as we think we're superheroes, <laughs> there are limitations and we don't want to spend all our time teaching and working with, you know, we have limitations of what we can do with our time. So I would try to do five a week and then just go through the list and make sure that I would check in with the students, but have them write like every Monday and every Friday. So that was a way for me to just check in with them, where are they at? And the things that they share in those journals are really powerful and gives you insight into building that relationship with your students. And so for me, that's really one of the most powerful ways you can connect with your students and also help them to write more often is through those shared journals.
0: Oh, that is a great tip. I love that. I love that. And I think for teachers out here that are listening, if you are in a situation, in a classroom situation where you might have, you know, 25, 27 students, and let's say you do only have a handful, maybe five of those ELs, this strategy that Beth just mentioned, honestly, is amazing to use with all of your students. But if you you know find that it is overwhelming i think even implementing that with just those els that you do have make it special for them to write let them do some pictures you know drawing as well and you do the same thing i think it can definitely be doable and something that's going to help move your els forward which is what this what this whole really teaching and learning journey is about is being able to move students forward help them to find success and celebrate Every step, small steps. Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) Are there any other final thoughts or just words with for teachers that you want to share with them um, as they're wrapping up this school year and about to head into summer? Um, It's been a long year. (laughs) (laughs) Any last minute words or thoughts or anything that you want to share? I'll let you do that now.
1: Yeah, I just want to say one, teachers are the most incredible Human beings on the planet. (laughs) To see what they've been able to go through this year is really incredible, inspiring. So enjoy summer. But also so much through my research of what I've learned with teachers supporting ELLs, the biggest factor in success is teachers believing that they can do it. And so don't underestimate how much you know as a teacher of how to reach those kids. And the you know, the biggest way is to just be a safe place that they know that they're cared for and that they're welcomed. That's going to open all the doors for them to being willing to learn. And so, you know, the teachers, you guys do that. You guys bend over backwards to figure out how to work with these students, how to work with all your students, how to support each of their needs. I know, you know, you go to bed at night thinking about that student that you're just not sure if you're reaching them, but you are, you're making a difference. You're making an impact. And especially after this year, you know, thinking of the impact you have in those students' lives, that you've been a consistent person that's shown up for them over this year is really powerful. So I just hope that you know all you teachers out there really really know that you are making a difference in this world and you are changing lives by just showing up and smiling and being a constant support in those students' lives.
0: I love that. And I, I so agree with you with every single word that you said. And so we are at the point now, Beth, where... Everyone that's listening is probably like, okay, where can I find Beth? Because you are just a wealth of knowledge. You just have so many tips, so many ideas. You are just, you You inspire teachers. You really find ways to reach students and you just have, you have that in you. And I saw, I knew that from the first time that I met you. But I see it when, as I follow you on social media and things like that as well. So for the listeners out here, can you go ahead and run through and share all of the places that teachers can be able to find you and follow along and connect with you after this podcast?
1: Yes, I'd love to do that. So you can find me on Teachers Pay Teachers. My store is called Inspiring Young Learners. And you can find resources for whole year curriculums for newcomers, closed reading and writing activities for intermediate ELLs, really a wide range of materials that are created with ELLs specific needs in mind. So a lot of vocabulary focused, building background, those types of things, but they also work for all your students. So that's the beauty of it. You can also find me on Instagram at Inspiring Young Learners. You can join our Facebook group, which is a mix of ESL teachers and homeroom teachers. You know, I'm really passionate about bridging that gap because I was a homeroom teacher that is ESL certified. And so I think when we're all in our silos and not working together, that's such a disservice to us and to our students. And so you can come join the Facebook group. It's inspiring young learners engage on Facebook. And so we do a lot of just talking with ESL teachers and homeroom teachers of how, how to make this work um, how to best support our students. And then, I also have a membership called Equipping ELLs, and that's a monthly membership for teachers of ELLs, home room teachers or ESL teachers, where I give lesson plans every month for newcomers and intermediate ELLs and all the resources that go with that lesson plan. So that's really a great place for people to go if they are just really wanting that support. We do two coaching calls a month, so it's a lot of coaching and community and then the resources. And then the last thing is I have a course called ELL Strategy Academy, and we are looking to do a big summer group, community group of going through, there's five different modules. It's so a way for especially homeroom teachers to feel that equipped, empowered Confident of how to support ELLs in your classroom. We walk through how to create a welcoming environment, which is the first and most important thing. And then we go through how to assess and lesson plan with ELLs in mind. And then we go through over 25 scaffolds for beginner ELLs, intermediate ELLs, and advanced ELLs in all four of the different domains. So we're going to be opening the doors to that at the end of May and going through the summer each of the modules together and really providing a lot of support so that come next year, teachers are very prepared and excited to support the ELLs in their class.
0: Wow. Okay. Well, that is, um, we will have all of those ways that you can connect with Beth in the show notes. You can click to be able to uh, connect with her and check out her resources, her course, her membership, everything that she has to offer. Beth, again, thank you so much for um, coming on the Literacy Dive podcast, for sharing your love, your passion, and your tips for supporting our ELL students.
1: Yes, no problem. I love doing that. And I also wanted to share a freebie with your listeners. Um, I have an intervention guide that kind of helps you pinpoint the problems that a lot of your ELLs are having, like we're talking about not writing or not getting ideas out on paper. And so then it gives you some really practical ways to solve that. So you can check that out at inspiring and it's right there on the main page and you can download
0: that. Awesome. Okay. So a free download for you, that guide will also be in the show notes and for all the listeners everywhere, this, um, we are about to wrap up right now, but thank you so much for tuning in for another week of the literacy dive podcast. And I will chat with you next week. Bye everybody.
1: Thank you for listening to The Literacy Dive. If you would like to connect with Megan, you can find her on Instagram at MissPeaceStyle. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss any episodes of The Literacy Dive. Until next time.